Some people find reading the Bible confusing for a variety of reasons, one of which might be that it's hard to tell who we're talking about when so many people, we only have their first name, and then there's more than one person that appears with that same name. If we look at Mary in the Gospels, are we talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and Martha, or is it Mary Magdalene? Speaking of Lazarus, there's Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, but then there's also Lazarus in the parable of the rich man who will not help the poor and then expects them to help him once he's burning in the eternal fires. But of course, there's also two Zechariahs. There's Zechariah who writes today's first reading from the Old Testament, not to be confused with Zechariah, Mary's uncle, Mary the mother of Jesus. He, Zechariah in the New Testament is the husband of Elizabeth and the father of John the Baptist. We hear a lot about him in Luke's gospel. But Zechariah, we don't hear him very often at Sunday Mass. He's one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament, and his is the second to last book of the Old Testament before we switch over to the Gospels. And he was preaching to God's chosen people at a time when all of them had just returned from a trip. It wasn't a pilgrimage and it wasn't a summer vacation. They had just come back to their land after having been slaves for decades in another country. Their cruel fate of the loss of a war against Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. That's present-day Iraq. That war the prophets foretold, and they said there's only one chance to avoid its occurrence, and that is to stop sinning against the covenant God has made with you, to repent and return to the Lord. Of course, as happened throughout the thousand years between uh, Moses and Jesus, they were stiff-necked, they were hardened of heart, they would not listen, they would not change, And that was a lather, rinse, or repeat cycle that happened for a millennium. And it was all breaking the simplest command that God gave to Moses and through Moses to his chosen people when they returned from slavery in Egypt and first entered the promised land. God told Moses how to instruct the people to live if they wanted to stay in that land. It was boiling down the Old Testament to its essence. Children of God, if you want to have long life in the land obey God's commands. If you don't, you won't. And that's the history that kept repeating itself. God was calling them to covenant faithfulness. It was as if he was their spouse. How many times did he say, you will be my people, I will be your God. I pledge myself to you. All he wanted in return was faithfulness, and yet that was an order that was hard to fulfill. Little Israel, a country just about the size of New Jersey, felt rather small and defenseless against all the other countries around them. And besides not having a big army, they also said, how can we feel safe and protected when we only have one God, when all the other countries around us have so many gods to fight for them? And that's when they began to wander from the covenant. And since they didn't keep God's commands, he kept his promise. They didn't have long life in the land, and they kept getting sent off as slaves in other countries. Yes, it had been Egypt. Later it would be Assyria. Then it was Babylon. And that's where Zechariah steps in. But even after Zechariah, there'd be the Macedonians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. And they just could not learn from the mistakes of their own ancestors to keep that simple rule. If you keep God's commands, you will have long life in the land. So Zechariah, like the prophets before and after him, is calling people to repentance. But he's also preparing them for the coming of the Messiah. He says, 
that when your king comes to you, he will come not in a chariot being carried around on horseback. He's going to come riding to you on a donkey, a beast, a burden. This would prove true 500 years later in Jesus Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And when Matthew, the same gospel writer we hear today, recasts that same story in chapter 21, he quotes this scripture from Zechariah to prove that in Jesus, prophecy was being fulfilled, that the king of kings and of all creation was indeed riding on a beast of burden. It was Zechariah preparing people to look to God, not only to bring them back to the promised land of Israel that they just came back to after their slavery, but also to look to God to provide for them an opening to the promised land of heaven and how they would get there, his son who would lay down his life for us. And Zechariah was forecasting not just a king for Israel, but a king of kings, a king of all creation, for he said, his reign will be without end and he will rule from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. Zechariah wanted these people to have great expectations for the greater God and the Messiah he would send to save them. Those expectations got bigger and bigger over the centuries to the point where Jesus, in the eyes of some, couldn't live up to them. There were many people that by Jesus' time were looking for God to send some sort of mighty military general that wasn't going to rule with a shepherd's staff. That was too weak. That was too meek. They needed him to throw down the shepherd's staff. They were looking for someone to take up the sword and start settling scores with their enemies, starting with the Roman Empire. For the elite of Jesus' time, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the scholars of the law, the wise and the learned, who had studied the Hebrew Scriptures front and back, who had them memorized, they read all those prophecies. They did not think Jesus was the fulfillment of those prophecies. They saw him, they listened to his words, they watched his deeds, they saw how many of their laws he was breaking, and they looked to heaven and said, is this the best you can do? Could you send someone else to save us? And that is why Jesus tells those same critics, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees today in Matthew chapter 11, God is not revealing his son to the wise and the learned. God is not revealing himself to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin, the best and the brightest, the elite of Judaism at that time. Instead, Jesus said, he is revealing himself to the little ones, to the childlike, the last, the lowest, and the least, the very ones this good shepherd came to save, those who most need him. That's something, of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees refused to believe, that somehow God was going to keep something from them. They knew everything that there was to know. And yet Jesus reminds us that we can get too smart for faith. We have to be childlike in order to believe. And children, yes, they believe in unicorns, but they also see mystery and miracle wherever they look. And yet the older we get, we begin to become bitter, cynical, skeptical. We need things proven for us. God doesn't have to prove himself to us. He doesn't owe us any explanation. God doesn't owe us anything. He has given us everything, everything that we need in order to know him and love him and serve him, everything that we need in order to carry our crosses for his glory in this life so that one day we too can pass over to the promised life in heaven. Jesus concludes the gospel today with three verses that might just become the last words you hear before you die because Matthew chapter 11 verse 27 through 30 are baked into the sacrament of the anointing of the sick and the last rites of the church. 
Countless times, priests are standing at the bedside of someone who is dying of illness, age, or injury. And we say those same words that we heard Jesus say today. Come to me, all you who are weary, and find life burdensome, and I will give you rest. The person who has suffered long, who has carried their cross far faithfully and well, who's ready to lay it down in exchange it for the crown of glory, they're ready to accept that invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and find life burdensome. But Jesus wasn't speaking in a hospice. He wasn't just talking to those who are dying. It's an invitation also to the living. When we find struggle and strife, stress and distress in our life, he invites us, come to me. That's why we come here. We're accepting that invitation to come, be renewed and refreshed in the strength and grace that comes from God. That's why people stop by during the week, during the open doors, disciples, or come to daily mass. That's why people have been going downstairs into that adoration chapel now for 30 years, accepting that invitation, Lord, this life is burdensome. I am afraid. Come to me, he says, and I will give you strength. The Lord, he may not take that cross away, and those crosses are many, and they may be heavy, but with, by his grace, we do not carry them alone. We do not carry them in vain, and we do not carry them forever. We're carrying them for a purpose, and that is to be purged, pruned, and purified, and prepared for the coming of the Lord, or our coming to him, whichever is going to come first. My friends, Jesus still invites us. In this world full of so much noise and distraction, this world that neither knows God or loves him or honors his teaching, he invites us, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. And so along with all the Israelites who have come before us and all the sinners who will come after, let's heed that simple advice that Moses and Zechariah gave to Israel. If you want to have long life in the land, keep God's commands. And it is that truth that will set us free.